From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, as if big tech needed any encouragement in silencing conservative views, the Biden administration is demanding more. Uh, We've increased uh, disinformation research and tracking uh, within the Surgeon General's office. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook uh, that spread disinformation. That was White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki last Thursday. The social media giants appeared to be good, quite frankly, at taking orders from the White House as YouTube yanked a Washington Watch video from last Friday's program discussing vaccine clinics in D.C. schools that are designed to evade parents. If free speech, the question is, is free speech as we have known it a relic of the past? How can we defend free speech against the attacks of big tech and big government? Well, we'll talk about that with Missouri Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler. We'll also talk about reports that Democrats will be pushing language in the upcoming Defense Authorization Act to require women to register for the draft. Going to be talking about that. Also, President Biden yesterday saying price increases and inflation are not a threat to our economy. We also know that as our economy has come roaring back, we've seen some price increases. Some folks have raised worries that this could be a sign of persistent inflation. But that's not our view. Well, let me tell you, their view is not shared by many, at least not by those who understand the basic of uh, the basic elements of economics. And we'll talk about that with Dr. Dave Bratt, Dean of Liberty University School of Business, coming up here on Washington Watch. And it is hot off the press. Christianity and wokeness, how the social justice movement is hijacking the gospel. Uh, Dr. Owen Strand is here on his book that is out today. So he's going to be joining us a little bit later to talk about that. And finally, Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton is here on an alarming, eye-opening oversight report on the fighting culture of the United States Navy. Is the U.S. Navy prepared to fight America's enemies, or have they become more proficient in pushing paper in response to bureaucratic demands? We'll talk about it later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. And also, let me encourage you, download the Stand Firm app. That way you can listen to Washington Watch no matter where you might be in the world. But more importantly than that, it gives you action alerts, tells you when you need to take action, both on federal and state issues. And by the way, if you're on Stand Firm, you're probably getting this alert now. Uh, As we talked about yesterday on the program, the Louisiana legislature, my home state, uh, they are in a historic override session to override a veto of Democratic Governor John Bell Edwards. Hasn't happened since they had since we ratified this Constitution in 1974. Well, earlier today in the Senate, the Senate passed the Fairness in Women's Sports Act with the necessary 26 votes to override Governor John Bell Edwards, who, like Governor Christy Noem of South Dakota, vetoed that common sense bill. It now goes to the House where they're two votes short, potentially, of the override. So if you live in Louisiana, here's the action item for you. Call your state representative. And here's the number. It's 225 342-6945. Know that by heart. 225-342-6945 to call your state representative and encourage them to override the governor's veto of the Fairness in Women's Sports Act. So act now. They're going to be moving very, very soon. Again, that number, 225-342-6945. Okay. The Biden administration is stepping up their efforts to pressure social media giants to censor those who would question big government's approach to the coronavirus and vaccines. Here's a clip of what uh, the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, had to say last week. In terms of actions, Alex, that uh, we have taken or we're working to take, I should say, from the federal government, uh, we've increased uh, disinformation research and tracking uh, within the Surgeon General's office. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook uh, that spread disinformation. 
Okay, so they're now working with Facebook to flag what they call disinformation. I mean, where will this end? We're going to talk about that. Also, the chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee is reportedly putting language into the annual National Defense Authorization Act, which is the NDAA, that would require women to register for the draft. Now, the National Defense Authorization Act is one of the few must-pass pieces of legislation that usually moves forward despite the political rancor in Washington. With me now to talk about all of this is Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, a member of the House Armed Services Committee. She represents the 4th Congressional District of Missouri. Congresswoman Hartzler, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. It's great to be here. All right. I want to start uh, with this topic of big government teaming up with big tech to silence the voices of those who simply may question what government is doing. Well, big tech certainly didn't need any encouragement from the federal government. I mean, they have been silencing and censoring speech for too long now. And now we have the Biden administration jumping on and encouraging them to further censor Americans. And that is a violation of our First Amendment rights. And certainly when you're talking about these vaccines, this is a very, very serious issue where Americans should have the ability and the platform to discuss whatever their thoughts are about this vaccine, to share information that they have, maybe anecdotal evidence and examples of family members uh, and how the different vaccines have impacted them. And it should not be up to the government or certainly these social media companies to determine, well, this is worthy of having information that the Americans can listen to and, and learn about. And well, this information they don't need to hear about it and they don't deserve to have that. So we're just going to squelch it. Uh, this is a very slippery slope and it's a very scary road that we are going down now with big tech uh, trampling on the rights of Americans and their, their First Amendment speech ability to express themselves. It, last Friday, I had uh, a lawyer on just discussing a lawsuit against the District of Columbia, where the schools there are putting in these vaccination clinics in the schools where children can be vaccinated with the uh, the, the COVID shot um, without parental notification. They don't. Ha- it doesn't go onto their medical record. Uh, it will uh, circumvent parental notification. They'll bill the parents insurance. They just won't tell them about it. I didn't take a a position and I haven't taken a position for or against the vaccine. I think it's up to people to make the decision based upon the health Mm -hmm. uh, situation or risk that they face. It's it's their their decision. But they struck uh, YouTube, struck our video, took it off and warned us uh, that if we do this again, you know, we could be knocked off permanently off of YouTube. Uh, This is the kind of stuff that's coming from the Biden administration challenging big tech uh, to become more aggressive in anyone who would speak anything counter to what this administration is doing. It's chilling. It is truly chilling. As a mom and a former teacher, I think you're uh, sharing the information about what is going on here in the schools in D.C. is is spot on. Parents need to know this is going on. It's scary to think that they would be pushing these vaccines without the parents knowing about it. I'm with you. I think it should be up to each individual to get all the medical information uh, out there, the pros and cons, talk to their doctor. It's up to each family uh, to have that important discussion and make that decision. But it should not be done uh, behind closed doors with our children. And the thought that they would have pulled that commentary about that and where you expose this is very chilling, very concerning. So, Congresswoman Hartzler, I I know the bottom line to this, how do we address it? It starts with elections. We have to have enough common sense mind, you know, some some members of Congress who have enough common sense to realize we should not allow big tech to silence the voices of Americans. We're not there right now. So in the meantime, what do we do to protect our First Amendment freedoms? Mm -hmm. I think just look at any and every opportunity that you have where you can uh, speak your voice. And and there still is good old newspapers and letters to the editor. And I'm always encouraging people at home, write letters to the editor. Uh, We certainly have emails and text messages where we can share with our friends and our neighbors about what is going on. But here in Congress, we are looking at uh, 
Section 230 in, in removing these liability protections that big tech have right now so that individuals can't sue. Uh, there is no right. There's no way to act if they do take away your voice. And so we're going to keep pursuing looking at legislation to try to fix this. But in the meantime, I just think we have to be creative and uh, look outside the box and try to get our message out any other way we can. And and by all means, use our voice because we uh, we yes. preserve it by using it, even in the face of opposition. Uh, Congresswoman Hartzell, I want to shift gears a little bit. Senate Democrats are reportedly proposing a sweeping rewrite of the military draft laws uh, aimed at requiring women to register for the selective service uh, with the selective service system that could lead to them being drafted. This is coming from the chair of the Senate Armed Services Committee, Jack Reed. Uh, this is something you, you've worked on the Senate, uh, the House Armed Services Committee as a member. Um, this will will come before your committee. What do you think the prospects are here? How how do we stop this? Mm. Well, I think it's just one-on-one, first of all, looking and seeing, is there a need? I mean, the purpose of the Armed Services Committee is to make sure that our nation has what it needs to be safe and secure and that our military is the strongest in the world. So I think first we have to look big picture and say, is there really a need to do this? And I say no. Uh, We have an all-volunteer force right now that is uh, uh, fantastic. Uh, it is made up of men and women, volunteers who step up and they say, we want to serve our country. And we have uh, women currently serving about 16 and a half percent of our, our military is women. And they are doing uh, amazing, courageous work uh, in our military in all areas and all branches. But I think that just is a testimony that we have a system that works right now. All volunteer. Mm-hmm. And I encourage anybody that wants to serve, they can sign up. Right. Uh, but even if you were to have a conflict. Uh, you got about two and a half million individuals serving now in the military and say you needed to double that. Say we needed five million people. Uh, there's uh, we would only need a little over one percent of the men who had signed up in the draft to actually get into the service to bring us up to those numbers. So I think this is a, a solution in, in search of a problem. There really isn't a problem here. Um, and I feel confident if we do get into a conflict that Americans, both men and women, will step up and want to serve. That's what we always have done. So I don't think that this is needed. Uh, I, I agree with you. I, I'm grateful for the women that want to serve. And if they, if they want to serve, they have the right to do that. And, and I, I applaud them. But I don't think they should be mandated. I don't think we should rely on a con- be a country that relies on women to serve and protect us, uh, being mandated to do so. My concern is that with all of the policy changes, we may not be able to meet the recruitment levels because of what we're doing to our military and making it a hostile environment to people of faith so that a few years down the road, we may have to draft women. And that's uh, a position I don't want us to uh, to be in. Congresswoman Hartzell, we're out of time. I want to thank you for joining us. As always, great to talk with you. And thank you for the outstanding work you do on Capitol Hill. Well, you're welcome. It's great to be here. Thanks. All right. And, uh, and folks, I got a poll question for you about is Facebook censoring posts more often from conservatives, the left, or do they apply it equally? You can take the poll by texting the word radio to 53445. I'll give that to you on the other side of the break. Dave Bratt from Liberty University is here next. Don't go away. When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply Scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that Scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for His kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to Him. God's Word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. 
This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in his image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. All right, before we went to break, I, I quickly threw out a poll question. I want to know what you think. Uh, let us know, is Facebook censoring posts more often from conservatives, the left, or do they apply the standards equally? All right, you can take the poll question, text the word radio. That's the word radio, one word, radio, to 53445. The word radio to 53445 and take the poll question. Also, for those of you living in Louisiana, uh, that uh, House switchboard number to call your member of the uh, state legislature on the women's sports bill, 225-342-6945. Yesterday, President Biden delivered remarks on the economy, claiming that it was, quote, uh, that it has come back roaring and that it uh, has brought, it was brought back from the brink. It's quoting him. He also said we've seen, quote, record growth, record job creation over the past six months. As for the dramatic jump in prices that we've all seen, have you seen them? I've seen them. The president said it's expected and it's temporary. And if you're worried about inflation, you should be excited about his multi-trillion dollar three-part Build Back Better plan. If we increase the availability of quality, affordable child care, elder care, paid leave, more people will enter the workforce. These steps will enhance our productivity, raising wages without raising prices. That won't increase inflation. It will take the pressure off of inflation, give a boost to our workforce, which leads to lower prices in the years ahead. So if your primary concern right now is inflation, you should be even more enthusiastic about this plan. I, I almost thought this was a parody, but it was him saying it himself. So, uh, well, I'm just going to go straight to our guest. Joining me now to talk about this is Dr. Dave Bratt, Dean at Liberty University School of Business and a former member of Congress from Virginia. Dr. Bratt, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony, great to be on. Thank you. I, I did not want to quote from a transcript. I wanted you to hear the words from his own lips because, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not uh, I'm not a, a professor of economics, but that doesn't add up. 
No, that's right. The, the economy, if, it, if it's too hot, you get inflation. If it's too cold, you get a recession. So right, right now, we're uh, too hot, uh, not because the economy is too hot, but because the, the federal government has spent about $10 trillion since I was in office a few years back. So that's fiscal stimulus that overheated the economy. And then another several trillion in, in printing money, which also overheats the economy. And so uh, we, we've got inflation going on right now that it, the rough phrase from economists is it's too much money chasing too few goods, right? If you got a ton of money you printed and it's chasing a few goods, well, the price is going to go up, right? That's the way it works. Uh, there's an equation in economics. It's uh, MV equals PQ. Uh, it's just kind of a given. It's, it's, not a, it's not something you argue over. MV, M is for money, MV equals PQ, and PQ, P is the price level. So if you don't change anything else, like they're not doing, right? If you, if you increase M on one side of the equation, uh, the price level, P, has to go up by definition, right? So this is just standard economics. You learn it in your first, you know, macro econ class taught in every economics textbook. And then you got the president of the United States standing up there saying, we're going to stimulate the economy even more right? <laughs> and, and saying that this is good for inflation. It's going to lower the price level. So I, I did hear it yesterday, just in passing. And I, I said to my staff, I said, whoa, did he just say that? And, you know, nothing shocks us anymore. It, it, it's just the Animal Farm 1984. Uh, but it, we, we really don't, and I, I say this in all seriousness, we do not have a price system, right? Economics, microeconomics is about the price system. Prices convey infinite information if you let them work, right? At Walmart, why does Walmart have everything on the shelf stock? Just what you need. They got snow tires, batteries, eggs, food, whatever you want, right? How does it know that? Because the price gets bid up of stuff that's being bought, and Walmart's smart, so they say, I'm going to get that stuff and put it on my shelf. So the price system works. The problem we're, we're facing right now that's very serious is we're getting rid of the price system, and instead we're putting in the government a system. And you know, I've been saying that for years, but now it's getting scarier in, in terms of you know the, the, the Chinese have this down to a science. They have a statist capitalism. And I'm worried we're starting to copy that. And I'm worried the left is moving in that direction toward a statist capitalism where the government by fiat just tells you, uh, obey or you're in trouble. And so the economics quickly turns into uh, the politics. A freedom in one sphere is intimately related to freedom in the other sphere. Well, that, so that moves us closer to a planned economy where the government is yeah. interjecting itself into it, where it moves us into socialism, uh, you know, Marxist ideology then in our political realm. Yeah, no, that's uh, absolutely correct. And I felt it uh, acutely in, in my race, uh, when you're running and you're, you're trying to do the will of the people, uh, but when the government takes over 20% health care and then another 20% education, right, K-12, higher ed or whatever, and another 20% of this, a few 20s and you're out of business politically, right? I mean, that's 60% of the population the government's controlling and everybody, everybody depends on a government check instead of on their own initiative and their own genius and their own intuition and all the gifts God gives you uh, at birth uniquely to you uh, to achieve your personal best for building the kingdom of God. And so that's what's at stake, right? It's your freedom to determine your future. And as a country, the freedom of us 300 million individuals is the freedom of the country. And they got to both work in tandem. You're free at the individual level and you aggregate that up and you're free at the national level. Uh, but you, you can kill freedom at either end. You can, you can have a, a totalitarian surveillance state like they have in China. And we're getting closer at the top level uh, and at the micro level, you have a totalitarian surveillance state where they watch every move you make. It's almost as if we're selling our freedom uh, for some pottage and porridge. You know, it, yeah. we, we've got, you know, this $7 trillion stimulus spending, you know, hey, we'll give you more money. Just yeah. surrender more of your uh, freedoms. Uh, yeah. Dave Brat, always great to talk with you. Out of time. We're up against a break. Uh, That's good, good to see you again. 
You bet, you bet. Go see Soren Kierkegaard. He just said what you said. You're a smart man. All right, folks, you're listening to Washington Watch. Don't go away. We're coming back with wokeness on the other side of the break. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com, and the poll question for today. Haven't done one of these in a while. Want to make sure you're, uh, you're awake, especially if you're driving. All right, text the word radio to 53445 for today's poll question. Text radio to 53445. Is Facebook censoring posts more often from conservatives, from the left, or do they do it equally? Want to know what you think? Text radio to 53445. Since 2014, wokeness has been a term widely used by the media and the left. Now the idea of wokeness has bled into the broader culture. I mean, business, I mean, we've seen it. This wokeness is unbelievable, but it's not just within business. Many, it's found its way into many evangelical churches. Well, my next guest has written a book about what is really, uh, this is really an alternative religion, wokeness. And he is uh, warning the church in America that embracing wokeness is embracing teachings that are antithetical to the gospel. The book, Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. It's uh, it's out today officially. uh, It's out today. This is it. It's coming out. So with me to talk about it is the uh, author of the book, Dr. Owen Strawn. He is the uh, senior fellow. He's the senior well, f- senior fellow, by the way, here at the Family Research Council in our Center for Biblical Worldview. Owen, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Tony. Thanks for having me. Okay, so today's the big day. We've been waiting for you. You've been working on this. The book is out. Uh, let's start with let's define wokeness. What what define that word for our listeners? Yeah, wokeness means being awake to the nature of systemic racism and inequality in America. So basically, you have this kind of secular conversion, if you will, where you now understand that the American public order is infested with all sorts of racism, injustice, and inequality. And if you're woke, then you want to be part of the activist team that makes America right. I cover all this in my new book, Christianity and Wokeness, but basically I'm trying to define a movement that very few people have in fact defined, yet is coming at us from every angle today. 
So let's, uh, let's now provide a few examples. What are some examples of this wokeness in our culture? When you are told that white people are white supremacists, you are hearing wokeness talking. When you had, for example, a LinkedIn training session some time ago that uh, asserted that white people should try to be less white, that was woke teaching. When you hear people say that white people have white privilege, that's wokeness. When you hear a critique of heteronormative, capitalist, sexist, white oppression in any form, you are hearing wokeness talking. Suffice it to say that this is really the dominant ideology of our age. It's coming at us from many different angles. It rarely announces itself. It rarely says, uh, hey, everybody, just so you know, before I come in the room, I'm wokeness and I'm trying to infiltrate your movement. I'm trying to come into your church. I'm trying to come into your school and brainwash your children. But suffice it to say that in those kind of formats we were just discussing, wokeness is imperial. It's trying to take us over. It's trying to enter the church of the Lord Jesus Christ even. Dr. Strong, but it, it, does it play on guilt to come in and, and basically through guilt cause people to be silent and acquiesce to this agenda? Guilt is its stock and trade. Guilt is absolutely the currency of wokeness. It really is targeting white people. It wants white people to feel tremendous guilt for past evils. And those are real evils, things like slavery and Jim Crow law, things that no person in their sane mind is going to support. But wokeness says the past is not the past. Um, basically, the crimes of yesterday burn today. You can smell them in the air. And what we need to do is we need to impute guilt to white people today because their whiteness implicates them in this whole systemic order of racism. And if we can successfully make them feel guilty, then we will advance our ideas and we will succeed in flipping the culture, which is really what this movement is about. It's not about promoting true unity in the gospel of Jesus Christ or any glorious thing like that. It's about making primarily white people feel guilty for being white and then uh, mobilizing that guilt to leftist social ends. That's what it's really about. And unlike Christianity, this is where I see the problematic aspects of it making its way into the church, is that unlike Christianity, there is no forgiveness nor redemption. There's no making peace here. It's, It's simply surrender and live under the bondage of this guilt. It is a religion of the sword. Last summer, what happened in America was not an aberration. It wasn't just people being locked down. That was a factor, but it was actually wokeness talking. It was theory and action. It it was people who have been told that America is a festeringly evil public order and needs to be torn down attempting to do just that. What I make clear in my new book, Christianity and Wokeness, is that this isn't going to work for our culture. Arson is not a strategy for the public square, nor is it going to work in the church. This is not going to produce unity. This is not going to produce peace. This is not going to produce healing. This system produces division, resentment, and alienation, where when you go to scripture, when you go to truth, when you the gospel of grace, that's where you actually can now find right. forgiveness and oneness and unity. Yeah, that is where it's in direct contrast with uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, and where can yes. folks get a copy of the book? They can get a copy on Amazon. That's a great place to go right now. It's uh, under 400 on uh, Amazon rankings, the all-important Amazon rankings. So that's a great place to go. It's also at local Christian bookstores, Barnes & Noble, and elsewhere. Christianity Wokeness is... Uh, it's out there, baby. So uh, thank you for, for having me talk about it. Absolutely, Owen. Great to talk with you. Folks, go pick up a copy, Christianity and Wokeness. It'll equip you to identify and confront this wokeness ideology that is invading every aspect of our culture. Don't go away. Doc, uh, Tom. What is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. 
God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, I'm going I'm to give you a few more minutes to take the, uh, the poll question for today and hope to give you the results before the end of the program. Um, Facebook. Is Facebook censoring posts more often from conservatives, the left, or does it apply their standards equally? To take the, uh, the poll, text the word radio, to 53445. That's 53445, the word radio. And as I said, I'm going to try to get you the results before the end of the program. All right. While China embarks on a major naval modernization program to enhance its ability to conduct operations globally, American sailors are being weighed down with non-combat related training and administrative burdens, according to a new report on Navy readiness. And by doing that, both Congress and Navy leaders risk sending them into battle less prepared and less focused than their opponents, according to the report, which was commissioned by a group of lawmakers. Now, the report also states, quote, while programs to encourage diversity, human sex trafficking prevention, suicide prevention, sexual assault prevention, and others are appropriate, they come with a cost. The non-combat curricula consume Navy resources, clog inboxes, create administrative quagmires, and monopolize precious training time, end quote. The report says such programs have made it very hard to maintain a focus on war fighting. Now, earlier, I guess it was last month, uh, June the 22nd, during a Senate Armed Service Co- Committee hearing, uh, Senator Tom Cotton questioned Admiral Michael Gilday, who is the chief of naval operations about the implementation of critical race theory in the Navy. Um, It was very interesting exchange. And I think very reflective of what we're going to talk about that was in this report. Play clip number eight, please. Sir, I I believe that we can trust them to, to read books like that and to draw reasonable conclusions. Well, it's not, it's not just a matter of trusting them. It's a matter of how they spend their time. And you, as the chief of naval operations, 
are suggesting in your professional reading list that it's a worthwhile endeavor for our sailors and ensigns to to spend their time reading books like these as opposed to, say, books on maritime strategy or basic seafaring skills, which also are included on your list. But there's plenty that are not included on your list that I think would also benefit them. Joining me now to talk more about this, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, an Army veteran and a member of the Armed Services Committee in the Senate. Senator, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony, it's good to be back on with you. Uh, that line of questioning from the committee last year makes a, or last month makes a lot of sense now after reading the report of the fighting culture of the United States Navy surface fleet, uh, because we've seen over the last decade or more a number of problems in the United States Navy in response to various situations that suggest we've got a problem. And this report highlights that. Yeah, yeah, Tony, I commissioned this report that was conducted by former admirals uh, in the Navy and general in the Marine Corps. Um, this is not my language. It's not my words or views. We're simply kind of holding up a mirror to the surface Navy and listening to what dozens of experienced sailors and chiefs uh, and officers have said. And it's that the Navy, uh, the surface Navy, has lost its warfighting edge. Uh, This goes back many years. It probably goes back to 1991 with the loss of the Soviet Union as a pacing threat. It has gotten worse, I think, over the last year as you've added even more requirements uh, like that I discussed with the Chief of Naval Operations in the clip you just played. Um, But we need a warfighting culture in our surface Navy. Uh, I mean, look at some of the consequences of losing that edge. You had the USS Fitzgerald McCain running into other ships in the Western Pacific. The Bonhomme Richard went up in flames, and we lost that ship in the port in San Diego uh, last year. You've had young uh, officers of patrol craft in the Persian Gulf surrendering to uh, Iranian ships. Um, It is very dangerous that our surface Navy appears to have lost that warfighting edge um, when you consider that our main competitor, China, is on a crash course to build up its Navy, and a conflict with China would probably start and primarily remain a naval and aerial battle. So, Senator Cotton, I mean, this raises a lot of questions for me. This required you commissioning this along with uh, three other members of Congress. It was not a formal report that came from the Armed Services Committee of either the House or the Senate. Um, How much more information is out there in the ranks of our military that would suggest we have a problem that we're just sweeping under the rug? Um, So... Tony, I can tell you that our office has received uh, an outpouring of feedback from surface Navy sailors over the last week telling us that we are spot on, that this is exactly what they see, and that they are also very worried about it. Um, Again, this is not really an ideological or even a partisan matter. These failures go back over multiple administrations. You know, for instance, in the Bush administration, the Navy chose to essentially discontinue training for new surface warfare officers. They gave them a package of two two dozen DVDs and sent them out to the fleet and said, study these on your downtime. We obviously would never do that for naval aviators or nuclear engineers, and we shouldn't do it with the surface Navy, which is the backbone of our fighting force. Um, I've spoken with the Secretary of Navy uh, nominee. He's a ship commander himself. I think he saw the leading edge of this when he left the service during the Bush administration. But I I told him that this really should be his legacy is getting the Navy back in fighting trim. So when we when we look at this report and it's the surface Navy, so you've got the uh, the the submarine that's different. They're they're kind of treated differently. You've got your special forces, uh, Navy SEALs, um, which you point out we've had some problems there in terms of leadership and standards of training but then the naval aviators, but the surface Navy is what would fight a major war, which is what we would be facing with China. And all things point to the facts that, the facts all point to the reality that we're not prepared for such a confrontation. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm afraid so, Tony. Uh, I mean, there's, there's the issue of our shipbuilding program 
and China's shipbuilding program, how they're starting to outpace us. But even with the ships we have or that we're building, we need a dynamic officer corps that is ready to lead in complex environments without admirals staring over their shoulder using modern information technology, which would probably be the first thing China would knock out in a, in a naval battle, um, who are prepared to innovate and to lead their sailors to victory on this, uh, uh, in a, any kind of surface battle, which is, again, it is the heart of the Navy. As you say, the submariners, the aviators, the special forces, the nuclear boomers, those are all separate communities. Um, this focuses specifically on the biggest single community and the, the backbone of the Navy, the heart of any naval battle, which is our surface Navy. And there are, there are real cultural problems in the way we've been raising up a generation of naval officers. There's going to have to be a lot of changes to fix those. You know, maybe this is self-explanatory, but one of the top issues that was raised when you get I've read through the report, the specific issues was insufficient leadership focus on war fighting. So what are they focusing on if we're not focusing our military on fighting and winning wars? Well, so you, you kind of outlined some of them there, Tony, in a quote from it. All these reports, all the training sessions, and of course, it's gotten worse with things like critical race theory, which is bad in itself and what it teaches our sailors. But just take, say, human trafficking training. Um, that is worthwhile. We should give all of our service members that. But unless you're in a country that has a specifically uh, difficult problem with human trafficking, do you really need to spend much time on it other than telling sailors before they go on shore for shore leave, hey, don't engage in human trafficking, and if you see anything like it, report it to your chain of command and the authorities. That should probably solve the problem, not spending a half a day on a training session like that. And I can tell you when I was in the Army, we saw this all the time. You know, you, you pile all of these non-combat, non-operational administrative responsibilities onto troops, and you require them to sit through endless PowerPoint briefings. And it, it's just a, putting aside whether if they're teaching something that's bad, that's bad on its own merits, like critical race theory. But it's just a major, major time suck and distraction when they could be focused on things like basic seafaring skills, which the officers in charge of the Fitzgerald and the McCain obviously lack to some degree. Or you hear some of the admirals who are around in the 80s. So they spent all their time studying the Russian Navy. They could pick out right. every naval ship just by its silhouette in the dark and tell you exactly what kind of munitions it's had on board. I don't think there's a lot of that happening right now in our surface Navy as it relates to, uh, to China's Navy. Those are the things that they should be spending their time on, not this overwhelming burden of administrative reporting and training. You know, that's what I was, I was thinking of as you were describing that back, uh, you know, I, it was a long time ago when I was in the Marine Corps, but it was in the 80s. Russia was our main uh, adversary at the time, and I was in the, the anti-tank uh, in the Marine Corps, and so I could, we had flashcards. We had spare time. We would, we would have flashcards to identify the silhouette of different tanks. So we would know where the ammunition was. We would know where the fuel was. We would know how long it take for the turret to turn around and lock in on a target. That's what we studied. I cannot remember, frankly, anything other than our mission-oriented uh, purpose. I don't remember yeah. all of these extraneous things. Of course, maybe I slept through them, no, but I don't recall. No, those are great. Yeah, those are great examples, Tony. And, and our surface Navy should be doing that as it relates to China's Navy and secondarily to Russia's Navy. Um, they shouldn't be sitting around having um, uh, book clubs on Ibrahim uh, Kendi's latest book. Um, they shouldn't be dedicating, as we said in the report, hundreds of hours to all these administrative reports. Um, and again, you know, when I was in the Army, we we're in the middle of two wars. We touched on a lot of the issues that you mentioned in that, um, in that clip. But we didn't spend hours and hours on them. Um, we highlighted the issues to our to our troopers. We told them what to do uh, under certain circumstances, and then we moved back to the rifle range or the land navigation range right. or to the first aid class. Uh, things that would help our soldiers fight and win in war, hopefully deter the war from happening in the first place. So, Senator Tom Cotton, as you commissioned this report and you've uh, obviously you've spent time going over it, you've uh, talked with those that compiled the report. Uh, any surprises when you first saw this report that uh, really jumped out at you? So, t Tony, I wish I could say I was surprised. Um, I would say the report is, as I told the authors of it, it is outstanding but disappointing um, because it confirmed what I suspected is that there was a cultural problem in the surface Navy. I mean, they have lost. A capital ship, you know, worth 
hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars on average every 16 months for the last several years. Um, those are not isolated incidents. When the Fitzgerald and McCain are running into other ships and the Von Homer Shard burns up in port and young officers are surrendering to like basically Iranian fishing boats, I did not think those were, those were isolated events, and this report simply confirmed my suspicions. So what is the way forward? I mean, this is, this is a very serious matter, and I want our listeners to understand this, that, you know, we have a military for a purpose. And I know that the left likes to use that military to advance their social agenda. We saw that under the Obama administration. We're now seeing this under the Biden administration. But you do that at the risk of leaving your, na- your nation unprotected or inadequately protected. How do we fix this? So there's some things that Congress can do, and I'm committed to that. So, for instance, one problem that I mentioned and uh, uh, that the report mentions is deferred and inadequate maintenance, um, which leads to soldiers having ships that are not prepared to fight. And that often is because we don't have enough ships. So ships get uh, held over in the Western Pacific or in the Persian Gulf or the Mediterranean for an extra month, an extra 45 days. That throws off their maintenance uh, program, which then throws off their training program for the next deployment, shortchanges our, our sailors in training. So Congress can mandate, for instance, the Navy not only publish a maintenance schedule but require updates to it. That kind of uh, scrutiny often solves the problem. But a lot of this, Tony, is uh, a leadership issue, and it has to be led from the top. And that's why I've stressed uh, to the nominee, the Secretary of Navy, that he is uniquely positioned, I think, to help solve this problem as a former ship commander himself and someone who said that he saw the early stages of some of these challenges when he left the surface Navy almost 20 years ago. Senator Tom Cotton, I want to commend you for uh, taking the initiative to commission this report. It's very insightful, as you said, disturbing, but hopefully uh, it'll awaken some people to the need of focusing on uh, at least this aspect of our military for now, Uh, but maybe we can move on to other branches of the service as well. Yeah, thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me. All right, Senator Tom Cotton of uh, Arkansas, a member of the uh, Senate Armed Services Committee. I'm telling you, the left is destroying our military with all of their uh, bureaucratic and social policy agenda items that they're placing onto our military. Uh, We've got to have good leadership. I will tell you that the Trump administration was moving it back in the right direction. They still had a lot of uh, resistance because Obama had purged all the good officers. So it's going to take it would take two terms of a solid conservative to get our military back on track. All right. The results to the poll question uh, is Facebook censoring conservatives, the left, or are they doing it equally? Not surprised. Ninety six percent of you say It is conservatives being censored. 3% say the left, one say equally. I would agree with you. Folks, I encourage you, if you live in Louisiana, give a call to your state representative as they will be taking up the sports bill. That number, 225-342-6945. All right? Until next time. I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.